Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Mike Bianco joins us now as we get close to the start of another college baseball season. You always tell me I ask you softballs out of the gate, so I'm going to try and be at least more interesting out of the gate. How long does it take? for you to get over a year and transition to the next year. So season ends in wow. June inevitably, and then you get into summer and guys scatter all over the place. But for you individually, when do you let go of one season and turn the page to the next now year? Now, that's that's not a softball. That, that's a that's a golf ball. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever looked at it that way, but probably my answer would be, you know, um, it probably happens over time. Um, you know, I, I said this a, a few weeks ago, speaking at an at an event, and uh, the one thing that um, I'm very poor at, uh, and, and admittedly so, is as soon as it's over. For example, that that Sunday in Arkansas, where we lose uh, Game Three of a Super Regional. Uh, you shake the opponent's uh, coach's hands, and then you have to walk out, you know, about 200 feet out into short right field, and you have to address the team. And um, you don't have the words at that time. And as you're walking up, and you see these young men, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, uh, in tears. And why? Because you know their season just ended. They didn't expect it. Um, you know, some of them will never play baseball again, and, uh, and and some of them will never. You know, they may play baseball again, but they'll never play here. So when you look into the eyes of Greg Kessinger and Thomas Dillard and Cole Zabowski and Cooper Johnson and Will Etheridge and and those guys, it's tough. And and the reason it's so tough, you know, beyond the emotion, is you weren't expecting it to end that day. You know, and uh, you know when you sit back and look at it now, and and people realize that. Usually there's only one team that wins their final game. Everybody else loses, you know, their final game. And so it's, it's a tough one. And I think, you know, so it's a process. I think, uh, immediately after and you, you know, you get back to Oxford, you got to meet with the team and try to, uh, have those meetings, goodbye meetings for some, some talk about the next year. Uh, but through those meetings, I think it's healthy for me because I, I, we, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, where we're going to be next year, what we need from leadership roles for Servideo and Keenan and those types of guys, Elko and Holston. Um, but uh, I think over time you start to the pain starts to go away, you know, and uh, it's always tough. You know, last the last couple of years have been, you know, I think uh, you know, maybe two of the toughest. Uh, but uh, but I think it's it's a process that you know takes you through the summer. In those postseason meetings, exit interviews, however you want to describe them, do you ever, as you go through those, do you feel like you learn anything about yourself as a coach? Through, through the feedback that you sure I, I think and I don't know if it's specifically or individually me as a coach but but you start to 
to become more aware of the guys individually and and uh, things that, that uh, uh, either your expectations for the next year or you know uh, what happened you know the, this this current year. Uh, I think yeah they're very educational and uh, I think it, it, sometimes we think it's just you know hey you know kind of the walking order say go play summer ball work on this uh, go to summer school gain you know ten pounds in a weight room and it's some of that for sure uh, but also it's you know you you watch guys mature you watch Anthony Servidio at the end of his freshman year and then his end of, uh, the end of his sophomore year and he's growing you know the kids are uh, that's one of the things things that you know people talk about being at one place for a long time and and so on yeah you know you know but things change players change you know and they change every single year and i think that's what's one of the neat things about this job so you so you mentioned being at one place at a long time you've won a ton of games here winning as coach and at Ole Miss and one of the winningest coaches in SEC history at this point in your career and, and i guess i'd be curious to know if it's changed in your mind at all how do you measure success for uh-huh your program i think on a lot of different levels you know i think it's a cop-out to say hey it's it's just about graduating kids and you know running a clean program and watching those kids grow up and mature that's great and 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 i think that's got to be at the forefront but you also you got to win and uh, uh, so I think it's on again. It's on a lot of different levels. I, I, I certainly think that you know you, you and each year is a little different. You know, and uh, there's years where maybe we didn't win as many games, but I thought you know uh, myself or our staff we did a really good job. And there's times where uh, maybe maybe we didn't do as good a job. And uh, and I, I think each each year we kind of evaluate that. And so I don't think it's just you know wins or losses. I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. You know, and and certainly uh, there's times where you know we thought we could have done a better job. We we should have done a better job. I should have done a better job. And then there's times where you know I think that um, you know we we did a really good job. And uh, um, you know I, I think we've done probably you know some better jobs you know, than than worse jobs over you know, the last 20 years that's why we're still here yeah uh, i mean obviously so there's some that would say in a converse, conversation with you the word omaha might be like an elephant in the room because mm-hmm. we all know it's one trip and you sure. know, but i'm not sure that that's accurate when you look around your facility and t-shirts you guys talk about omaha all the time i mean that's sure. the ultimate goal in college baseball is there a scenario where there's too much attention focused just on being one of the final eight teams versus being a super regional team on a regular basis or do you look at it that way you know it's uh, omaha period no i think we talk about it all the time we as a, as a program i don't think you can be scared of it you can't be scared of uh, if you want to call it the elephant in the room i mean that's uh if you're part of the southeastern conference one of the goals should be to win the, the conference championship uh, that doesn't mean if you don't win it you're not a good program you know we, we see that every single year uh if you play ncaa division one baseball the ultimate goal is to win a national championship to get to, to omaha uh i would think for for a football program maybe it's to to be in the you know the 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 playoff you know the the, the final four in basketball um you got to have a goal. You got to have a you know, and I and I think you know ours is a is a legitimate goal. Uh, yeah, we've been there, you know, you know, one time in in, in nineteen years. Um, 
that's been pointed out, you know, a few times. I, I, I get that. <laughs> um, but it's not easy. And, you know, one of the things, and this is not to, to get into a big debate is, but we've been highly successful. We haven't been the program that's been up and down. We haven't been the program that, uh, you're not sure what you're going to get. Uh, you know, we've, we've hosted, I think, nine regionals in 19 years, uh, which really means that you're in the top 16 at the end of the year. You know, we've played in, you know, six super regionals. Uh, uh, there's teams that have been to Omaha more than us, but maybe over the 20 years, you know, haven't been as successful through the regular season. Highs and lows. Yeah. And um, and that's not to sugarcoat anything. I mean, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you if, if I was to be honest, yeah. You know, w- would you want to get to Omaha more? Do you think you could have gotten to Omaha more? Should you have gotten to Omaha more? Probably, sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we've put ourselves in position to, to, to get to Omaha. And uh, unfortunately... You know, there's been years like last year where it just didn't happen. It wasn't that we weren't good enough. It wasn't that we weren't capable enough. We just lost the game. If we would have won that game, we would have gotten to Omaha, and that could be disappointing. And uh, I don't think there's anybody more disappointing than uh, myself, the coaches, and, of course, the, the players on the field. You've got a bear of a schedule this year. Mm-hmm. Um I don't remember the exact number. It's 28 or 29 games against teams that are in the preseason top 25, a whole bunch of opponents that made it to the postseason, a bunch of teams that actually played in the College World Series a year ago. And it's almost like that's just an SEC play. Mm-hmm. You also open with Louisville and you go play in this tournament at, at East Carolina. Who the heck made your schedule? <laughs> I, I what say that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um uh, I have a, a hand in that, so I'll have to admit. And you know, I laughed yesterday. Uh, you know, I could get mad at the guy that makes a schedule, but I actually have to sign off on all of it. So, you know, part of it's my fault. But um, there's part of that that's really, really cool. No doubt, no doubt. And it's going to be certainly so. There, when 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 I look at the schedule, especially to open up with the number one team in the country, and knowing that we have so many new faces on the field, yes. Obviously, it's a big challenge. Um, but here's the thing, and it, and it sounds like coach speak, but it it, it really isn't. Uh, and I asked the players, and even warned them, knew that that would be a question that every media member would ask at some point in the first you know uh, upcoming weeks of the of the season. So I have slidden back into cliche questions. Yes, you have. Uh, but 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 it's a question I think everybody has to ask. But but the the, the real answer is. Did they expect any less? Like I asked the players, did they expect to not play LSU or Florida or Vanderbilt or Georgia? Uh, you know, maybe probably the only schools that they didn't, you know, you know, weren't sure that we would play would be Louisville or East Carolina. Beyond that, everybody on our schedule that's ranked and went to Omaha or they all expected to play. They all came here for that. So, you know, to them, it's it's the schedule. You know, and yes, you know, statistically, when it's all said and done, I think it'll be one of the best schedules in the country, if not, uh, if not the best. But that's what they expected, and and I think that's what you expect when you come here, you know, to to, to play the best. And so, uh, even though it'll be a huge challenge uh, to open up, you know, with Louisville, the number one ranked team in the country, I think our guys are super excited versus playing some school that they never heard of, you know, mm-hmm. to open up the, the 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 first weekend. And I think our fans are excited as well. People talk about the scholarship situation. In college baseball, and specifically in the state of Mississippi, 
but I feel like people maybe don't know exactly what it is that you guys are dealing with. What are the challenges that are unique to being the head coach at Ole Miss and dealing with 11.7 in comparison to some of the other schools in the SEC that you're competing with on a day-to-day basis? I don't know how long your show is. Um, I mean, look, I'll just sit back and we can clip commercials whenever uh, we need to. Well, I think people are really fascinated by this because I'll say this so you don't have to. It feels like Vanderbilt plays by a different set of rules because they're a private institution mm-hmm. and they've got need-based aid. I think most people kind of understand that. And then the lottery conversation is out there, but I feel like there's some other things that, that maybe other schools have advantages with that, that you don't deal with. Well, all of that is true. Um, but let me preface all of this by, at the end of the day, nobody's doing anything illegal. It's just different situations at different places. We've chose to be here. You know, we've chose this situation. Uh, we understand that, you know, in some regards, there's obstacles. In some regards, we have some pluses. We have a wonderful facility. We have great fans. We, we have a lot of things that, that, that are pluses. There, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I've had opportunities to leave over the last 20 years that I could have went to a place possibly that, you know, had some of the scholarship advantages that you've mentioned. We love it here. We never use it as a, you know, use it as a crutch or an excuse. But it is real, and it's one that that, that we're aware of. And so, you mentioned first, uh, not necessarily just Vanderbilt, but private schools in in, uh, sure. uh, in general. Not all of them, but a lot of them, and a lot of the ones that are good in baseball have this thing called need-based aid. And what is that? What that means, basically, in layman's terms, if, if somebody applies to a private institution like Vanderbilt, like Rice, uh, Duke, Stanford. Duke, Stanford, if they get accepted to the university and then the, the university looks at their financial uh, background from the parents, if they make the parents make under a certain amount of money, and we're not talking about poverty here, you know, we're talking about sometimes the the cutoff is a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred twenty five thousand dollars. That that student can get a full scholarship for free to go to that school. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, Stanford doesn't want or Rice or Vanderbilt doesn't want the brightest kid in the country to not go to their institution because they can't afford it. That guy may find the cure of cancer one day. <laughs> they want him to be sure. you know, a Stanford grad, and he may be the president one day. And and so that that's always been there. It has nothing to do with athletics. The problem that comes in is a lot of times you you would have to believe that the players in on the athletic fields for those schools don't have the academic requirements as the regular kids to get into that school. Their basketball teams average ACT or their football team or their baseball team average ACT doesn't get them into that school. Their athletic ability, but that happens here too. That happens at all the public schools, too. But we all know usually those private schools have you know, tougher uh, entrance requirements. But once they're in, once they're accepted because they're an athlete, then they're just like all the other student body. And or that scholarship that's available to the kid that parents don't make $100,000 is the same for you know the baseball player. And so, well, why don't you see it as much in football? Well, because they're full scholarship anyway. Sure. Why don't you see it in basketball? Because it's a full scholarship anyway. 
but so it really see, matters in equivalency sports. Exactly. And so, uh, and that's really since the turn of the century, since the 2000s, where I think people started to take advantage of it. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong, but there's also some public schools that have that. And without throwing stones, there's other public schools where you go, wow, they're public schools, but I didn't realize that they're in the top two or three or four in the country of using need-based aid. So, yeah. so how is that possible in a public school? It's got to be a it's the same that's thing. Got a massive endowment and just it's a, it's 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 works the same way. Okay, you know, works the, the exact same way. It's but not. It's got to be available for every student. It's got to be available for every student, and most public schools don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to say the University of Mississippi or the University of Tennessee doesn't want to say anybody's that makes less than a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to pay for, you know, they're going to have a full scholarship at our institution. Hmm. So that's one part. The, another part is that lottery-type scholarship that you talked about, where if you're in Georgia and you have a certain ACT score, the state of Georgia will pay, if you go to a state school, they'll pay for your tuition. And usually it's a it's a kind of a sliding scale. In Florida, it's the same thing. They have a Bright Future scholarship. So if you reach a certain level ACT score, the state of Florida will pay for your tuition to go to a state school. Uh, Louisiana has the TOPS program, Tuition Opportunity Program. When I was at McNeese State, if you had a 19, now it's higher now, but not much higher. If you had a 19 on your ACT, which is the average uh, test score in the state of Louisiana, then you got your tuition paid for. And so... That would be nice for us, wouldn't my, it? My parents would have appreciated that yeah. as a parent. Now I exactly. would appreciate that. But that money helped pass the lottery in those states, and thus the lottery, that's where that money comes from, is from the lottery. And uh, Mississippi just got the lottery, and I don't know if it'll eventually get to that. It's not where they initially allocated the money. Yeah, but when you look around the SEC and the footprint of the SEC, the only two states that don't have some type of lottery-based money would be Alabama and Mississippi. And then another one, I don't want to say lastly, but another one that certainly affects Ole Miss specifically, uh, not, 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 not that we're the only institution, is uh, out-of-state and academic scholarships. And what I mean by that is uh, when you look at the University of Mississippi, I believe, I'm correct in saying this, that over half of our enrollment is out of state. See, we don't have any trouble recruiting kids from out of state, from Birmingham, Atlanta, Nashville, Dallas, Houston, and so on. We see that by all the, the, the car tags driving around Oxford. That's great. Because of all the things that are great about Ole Miss, it's a small institution, a smaller class size, a beautiful college community. It's Mayberry with a college. And if you're in Birmingham or if you're in Nashville, what a great kind of got that private school feel at a public school price. You know, so if your child wants to go somewhere out of state, what a what a great choice. So because so many people want to come here. We don't have to go sell our university or discount our university. Yes, we want smart kids, but our to get academic aid at our institution at a state is much more difficult than most places. And so what my point is, is most people are trying to encourage out-of-state because of that out-of-state fee, you know, fee that, that non-residence fee that is twice what tuition is. So at Ole Miss, tuition's eighty, you know, eighty-two hundred. The non-residence fee is sixteen thousand. So, but there's other places that hey, if you have an ACT score of a twenty-four, we'll waive your out-of-state. If you have a uh, ACT score of a twenty-five or twenty-six, if you're a bordering state and you you have this, we'll waive. 
we have those things, but the score is much higher, and they get less money. And so we, in an equivalency sport, when you're dealing with scholarship dollars, those things become really important, and we we don't have as much access. All right, so in reality, you say dealing with scholarship dollars. It's it's actual dollars versus percentages? Well, that's what a percentage is, is what the what the dollar. So if, let's say, the scholarship was, let's say, a full scholarship, and we're just going to make it easy math because I have an LSU degree and it's easier. You know. <laughs> so let's say it costs $30,000 to go to Ole Miss. Okay. If I gave you ten thousand dollars, that an in-state number or an out-of-state number? That was just a guess. You know, you know, it's 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 closer yeah, to in-state. But, but you get that would be germane to this conversation. Sure, if it's ten thousand for in-state. Okay, well let's let, 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 let's do it this way. Okay. Let's say I was giving you ten thousand. Let's say thirty thousand for in-state. Let's okay. say forty thousand for easy math for out-of-state. Okay. If I you're in-state, you're from Oxford, Mississippi. If I gave you ten thousand dollars, that's thirty-three percent of a scholarship. So. You can say ten thousand, or you can say thirty-three percent. It's the same. But, if I but gave where you, it would be important, though, is do you have eleven point seven in-state scholarships or eleven point seven out-of-state scholarships? Or great question. You're not missing the point. It's a great point. But let's say you're not an in-state kid. Let's say you live in Memphis, okay. and I gave you ten thousand dollars, but it's ten thousand of forty thousand dollars, so I gave you twenty-five percent of a scholarship. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So uh, the percentages count against the 11.7 the same, but the dollar figures are what it uh, of the cost of attendance, what it would cost you to go to school here, and so it's more expensive to recruit an out-of-state kid because you have to give them you know more money to make it basically you know equal for them to their their cost that to, to come here. I don't want to turn you into Ron Polk on this. He beat yeah, the drum it, for I feel a like really it. long time. I feel like it. Yeah. I, I say beat the drum, more like yeah. punch the keys on a, an old school typewriter. There you go. Are we trending toward? I mean, I mean, we, we were trending toward a, an extra paid assistant last year, and all of a sudden that blew up. Are we trending toward a scenario where we get to fourteen or fifteen or sixteen full scholarships for baseball? And would that make enough difference? Great question. Uh, if you would have asked me five, ten years ago, I would say no. You ask me now, I, I think we're trending, but we're still far from, from, from that point. And, and I think you can see it in the assistance. But one of the things that, that I, I, and I candidly, and this is probably not a you know, popular thing of saying, I was wondering why we were willing to go pay another assistant, you know, $50,000 out of, you know, the athletic budget, but we weren't willing to give two more scholarships. And, you know, to me, I'm not sure if I would not pick the scholarships over the assistant. I already have the assistant. We're, we're just paying them through our camp. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, to me, it's one of those debates. And, and I know athletic directors, uh, you got all these sports and you got a lot of different uh, sports and a lot of different needs. And, and baseball is not the only one in the cafeteria. Let's talk about this team. You, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, Greg Kessinger's gone, Thomas Dillard's gone. Bunch of other guys yeah. are gone, so they're new faces. You do have some returning faces. I mean, you got an anchor at third base and Tyler Keenan. First two starters on the weekend are, are guys that pitched a year ago. How do you like the makeup of this team? I think the uh, depends on how you define makeup. If you just define it by you know what you return and, and what you have, you know we love it. You know we think it's a great mix. Probably a better mix than 
probably people are recognizing right now because I think the narrative out there is because it's the number two ranked recruiting class, I think it's the easy question for the media. Hey, let's talk about the new guys. Let's talk about the new recruits. Let's talk about the football guys. Those are all the things, those are all the buzzes that everybody wants to talk about, and I get. Uh, and I understand, uh, but I think when we you know look at the makeup of this, if if it's returners and talent and guys coming in, uh, we look at fourteen only fourteen of thirty four players, fourteen guys that are super talented, you know, that played here and have had a lot of success. And so even though the numbers, you know, it's not like you returned 25 guys off of last year's team or seven of the starting uh, nine, when you look at this year's team and you look at Tyler Keene, a guy that's hit 25 home runs in the first two years, you look at Anthony Servideo, who is going to be one of the best shortstops not only in the SEC but in the country. When you look at uh, Kevin Graham, who was a freshman All-American that played maybe half to two-thirds of the season last year, hit uh, 10 home runs. Then you look at this team, uh, Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland and Austin Miller and Taylor Broadway and guys that have pitched and pitched on the weekend and pitched in, you know, in the fire. Man, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good foundation right there. And so, uh, when we look at the mix, you know, the makeup of the team, we really like it. February 14th, so a week and a half from now, assuming it's not 45 and raining. Right. When you roll out against the number one team in the country, there are going to be seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people there. I hope more, but yes. Okay, 12, 15,000, whatever go. the number is. And you'll see that repeatedly throughout the year. Do you ever get to a place where you take for granted the environment that you've helped build? Never. Uh, help, help build here? No, it's. And when it's, you look around and you're like, there are people. Everywhere. No, and it, it's such a special place. And, uh, you know, we're on the cusp, you know, now, uh, as he said, about 10 days out of breaking another season ticket record. Last year we averaged just under 9,000 people a game. It was like 8,990 8, people, like 10 people short of 9,000. We've been second in the country, I think, for the last four years or so in attendance and in the top five for like 15 years, something just unconscious and and so no uh we we talk about it a lot yes we use it in recruiting i don't know if we've uh you know how many recruits we've ever you know lost you know if they've came and watched <laughs> us at swayze field and seen the atmosphere uh but it, it's it's electric and makes you so proud you know when you've been here for 19 years and you look around and uh and not just for a big series not just for regional but like you said you know uh, opening series you know uh you you know, we really, barring bad weather, we're going to have over thirty thousand people walk through the gates. You know, and uh, on one weekend, that's that's pretty cool. If you could change one thing about the college game to make it a better game, what would you change? I think the college game's awesome. You know, I think we're at a good spot. You know, they've toned down the bats and then changed the ball. I think we're at a good spot with uh, with the way the game's played. Uh, they the people want to continue to to speed it up, but they do that for Major League Baseball, and, and it, that's really TV time wise. They did, it's just a commercial thing. It's a time slot trying to fit it into three hours, and when it leaks over three hours, it it's tough for TV people. And I get that. And there's just so much more games on television now that it's a bigger concern than it was you know five ten years ago. I'd say the answer, and it sounds like we're complaining, is could we just all have the same scholarships? Could we be like football? Whatever that number is, could we have you know, 20, 23 full scholarships? And so when you sat down with a recruit and you offered them a scholarship, you weren't offering them 10,000 or 33%. You just offered them a scholarship, just like they'll do in football today. 
and signing period where they offer them a scholarship. See, people don't get that sure. part of the recruiting. See, when Coach Kiffin offers a guy a scholarship, it's the same scholarship that LSU offered him, the same one that Mississippi State offered him, the same one that Vanderbilt offered him. It's the same everywhere else. It's a full grant and aid. When we offer them, you know, it's not apples to apples. It's apple to oranges. Some people gave them money, 10000 Some people offered them a percentage. You know, some people just offered them tuition. And it's for these families to try to figure all of that out. And it would be probably, I think, a little better for the sport if we were just a head counter sport. And, you know, and I think that's where it's starting to run to, where this equivalency model, this percentage model, um, I think even, you know, our, our commissioner, uh, Commissioner Sankey, you know, said that, you know, it's kind of obsolete now, you know, that this is a rule that came in the 1970s of equivalency and it was really to save money, you know, why, why that model just doesn't work anymore. If when I got up and walked out of your office, Jeff Bezos walked in, I think he's the richest man in the world. I haven't checked today. And he's either said, him or Bill Gates. Yeah. Well, e- either one of those guys, Warren yeah. Buffett, somebody with an, an infinite amount of money, basically. And he put a blank check down and said, I've already signed it. You can fill it out to fulfill one need for your program. Wow. You've got great facilities. What's the one thing that you want or need that you don't have? I would say, now that we're on the cusp of breaking a season, we're going to have to soon enlarge the stadium. Last year we sold every seat in the stadium. I don't know if there's a baseball stadium in the country that has sold every seat. Uh, we're on... Again, the verge of doing that again in, in year two. We did that five years in a row, you know, over a decade ago, and then 2009 we, you know, expanded the stadium, the seating capacity to about 6,500. And I think we're we're going to have to do something here, seating wise. If that's something in the outfield, if that's you know enlarging, we're going to have to do something. I think to the stadium. I don't know exactly what that is yet, though. Last thing for you, and I really appreciate your time. It, it feels like technology and analytics is, is changing the game. When Whether Without you're watching doubt. Major League Baseball or college baseball, I don't know that it's necessarily snuck into the high school game. At the most basic level, you see guys shifting all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. Sure. Going back to your days with Skip Bertman, mm-hmm. you, you could maybe be described as an old-school baseball coach, but you've evolved as it's gone along. How are you using technology and analytics to help your program now? Well, first, yeah, you mentioned Coach Bertman, and one of the great things about the system, you know, the way, you know, the foundation of the program, there's there's things that we do that uh, we've done for in the in the in the system since 1960. You know, there's the bunt defenses that we do, and we just went over yesterday are the same bunt defenses that we used in the 80s at LSU when I played and in the 90s when they were winning championships. But things evolve. Technology changes things. You know, Skip was the first to talk about the mental game. Now everybody talks about the mental game, right, sports psychology. He was the first in the SEC to really get into strength and conditioning. Now everybody has a strength coach. And so one of the great things, I think, about the way that I learned is – you better not fall behind. You better make sure that, you know, uh, and not just a gimmick. And that's where I think that I put a, a, a wall up where I just, I don't want to get something because it's you know, the color of the month. You know, I don't want to just buy something to say we have it. And so we have to have the need for it and the use for it. But there's no doubt that, you know, technology's changed. We hired a, a director of ops 
that was kind of not our traditional director of ops, where he came from professional baseball, never worked in a college. Uh, Chris Gudoris never worked in a, in, a, in a college program to help get us closer uh, to over that hump of technology. I think we are. I think I'm really proud of where how much we've grown t- in two years. Uh, but the difference in, in technology for us, because analytics is, is, is a very broad term in baseball. It's from the shifts to statistics, like from batting average to OPS and WHIP and different statistics that you Bad. hear yeah different statistics that you hear now on 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 sports center and baseball tonight that you you never would have heard you know 10 15 years ago it's launch angle and exit velocity and stuff that's cool and kind of sexy to hear and see a ball off a bat and a and a, and a laser beam line and but, but you the know, key becomes what you do with those numbers right no doubt and the difference i think the biggest difference that i could explain to you or to fans is from college to pro Pro, the majority of that information, I think, from the front office is used to evaluate and should we draft this player, should we trade for this player, should we sign this free agent. They're looking at that information, a lot of that information, or in scouting, you know, to scout a pitcher and, you know, why he's so successful and so on, or a hitter. A lot of our data is used to how to improve a player. That's what we we can't use. We don't have that data for a a 15-year-old kid in high school to decide do we want to recruit him or not. But once he gets there, we can use all all the things that we have at our disposal to – Look at his spin rate of his fastball, the tilt axis of his of his fastball or his breaking ball, and these types of things, and decide for a guy like Will Etheridge last year, who was always a reliever, we're going to do away with your four seam fastball because it doesn't play well enough, and we're going to throw all two seam fastballs, and we're going to change your breaking ball and try to change its axis, and work all fall to do that, and so to get a guy that was a pretty good reliever to make him your Friday night ace. That's how we're trying to use technology, you know, in the development stage uh, rather than, you know, the recruitment stage because we just don't have that information. Nobody has that information. Have you seen enough data in the college game that you're ready to start shifting guys to, to buy uh, into that? No, well, the problem with that, they look at a guy that, let's say, has been in the big leagues for five years and they move all the infielders on one side of the field. Sample size. Right. Well, yeah, that's 25 at-bats in big leagues, and then another 2,500 at-bats in, in minor. That's 5,000 at-bats. We get a you know sophomore from Louisville. I mean, we have you know 72 at-bats. You know, so it's a little different, and uh, and so that's why we're probably a little slower than that. And I think back to the gimmick. I think some people are just they're a little little riskier. Where hey, we think he's going to hit it over there, so we're going to put it over there. You know, and I I don't know if that's necessarily true. You're right. You know, you got to have the sample size to sometimes change what Abner Doubleday, you know, you know <laughs> set him out there 200 years ago. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.